0: Welcome to the Irish Society of Stage and Screen Designers podcast. Each episode covers different aspects of sonography and its processes with designers from all disciplines at a variety of stages in their careers. These podcasts are possible thanks to the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland. Our inaugural podcast focuses on lighting design and its processes featuring Sarah-Jane Shields, Bill Woodland, and John Gunning. We hope you enjoy it.
1: Hello, I'm John Gunning. Uh, I am a lighting designer in the process of not being a theatre anymore. Um, uh, I have worked with Malaprop for five, five years. Um, and as freelance uh, lighting designer and other technical and design jobs outside of that.
2: I'm Bill Woodland. I am a lighting designer uh, freelancing in Ireland for the last five years and in America previously uh, with my own theatre company, which is uh, now uh, sadly and lovingly in the ground. Because we all had to move on with the rest of our lives and we all moved away. <laughs>
3: uh, I am Sarah-Jane Shields, otherwise known as SJ Shields, and um, I'm a lighting designer freelance. Um, I have been involved in lighting since about the age of 14, um, and I, like John and Bill, ran a theatre company for a number of years. Um, which I'm going to say is on pause at the moment. It's been on pause for about four years, but, you know, who might come back? Um, uh, in 1998 was when I was 14, so uh, you can add that up whatever way you want. <laughs> um, I, I joined uh, Dublin Youth Theatre just as a hobby, and I was um, introduced to uh, a manual six-way lighting and a six-way dimmer pack with more than six plugs. Um, oh, Yeah. And uh, learned my first live patching of a show thanks to uh, Eamon Fox, Dublin Eamon Fox. And um, I think when, 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 when you're young and you're interested in the performing arts and in live theatre, you are exposed to costume, you're exposed to set design, you're exposed to, to, to music. But you're not necessarily exposed to lighting. You know, it's something that kind of happens in the background. And, you know, I certainly didn't notice it when I was performing in Greece when I was eight. Um, so suddenly being uh, behind a, a board and, 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 you know, manually physically manipulating lights and changing colours and changing lighting states was just a huge uh, eye-opening experience for me. Um, and it kind of sat with me throughout W. Theatre and then um, throughout my uh, my time in college in Trinity. Um, But like, still to the point, when I left Trinity, I was really interested in all aspects of design. I was really interested in costume design uh, and lighting design. Um, And just for the virtue of um, when I applied to the Rough Magic Seeds project, I applied as both a costume and a lighting designer, and I was accepted as a lighting designer. So in a way, the the choice was made for me. Maybe uh, Lynn Parker me that I didn't see myself, Um, and that's kind of where it all began and where it's continued to, to, to grow from.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think, I think actually me and SJ started on the same desk, but 10 years <laughs> <Yeah>. apart. <laughs> um, cause I also was DIT and it's, it's a very similar, uh, kind of entry point was, I think the crucial thing was like having a space where you can play with, the equipment and you can kind of very freely like not even make mistakes, just like do things, you know, are obviously wrong because they're interesting um, and get to play with lamps and get to, you know, get to play with lamps on a desk for the first time. Um, I think it's the same intro, um, almost the exact same origin story, except I was a massive nerd who didn't go to a proper college. Um, just went straight into tech.
2: <laughs> I think I managed to, uh, uh, cover both bases there. <laughs> um, so, similar age group, like, I guess, I think I took my first, like, tech theater course in, in finger quotes. It was basically a, a Saturday only thing for 10 weeks um, in a community theater uh, where I was growing up called Capital Playhouse, uh, May it rest in Peace. And... Um, they, uh, they had a load of youth theater programs, uh, but they also had backstage parts of it, which, um, was, uh, like I thought was just a thing everywhere and, uh, apparently isn't, uh, I have grown to find out over the many, many years. And the guy who did all the lighting design, um, was, uh, a guy named Matt and he's a wonderful man. He is a giant individual. Like, he's just, like, seven feet tall. And <laughs> uh, seeing, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, when I was, like, 13 or 14, I was like, he's he's like Hagrid from the Harry Potter books. Uh, <laughs> but uh, seeing a man of that size standing on the not-a-step on the of a rickety wooden A-frame, you know, trying to focus a par can and, you know, basically, like, sing, making up a... Uh, a song in uh, uh, that would not be out of place in South Park uh, was enough to be like no no what what 's that guy doing <laughs> and uh, and that was it um, my my high school well uh, I, I also came from a uh, incredibly lucky place where i uh, there was actually technical theater classes in my high school. And so got to actually uh, get hands on the equipment uh, and, you know, do the same sort of thing, make mistakes and uh, just have fun trying stuff. But, like, five days a week, you know, for three years, basically, uh, as a part of my schooling. And that was amazing. And then uh, off I went to undergrad and uh, did tech and design in undergrad. And then uh, because I was thinking like, oh, I'm out of college now and we are at the height of a recession, so I need Mm -hmm. to get a job uh, and had a brief diversion working for a lighting vendor. And uh, that was, uh, well, it paid my bills for a while, but I wasn't particularly happy doing it because I was spending an awful lot of time uh, telling people, how amazing some of these LED lights were and, you know, like uh, getting the ETC rep in to train us in on how to uh, do a demo for the Series 2 Lusters, like when they first got released, or no, the Series 1 Lusters was when the uh, the rep came around. When the Series 2 came out, they were like, yeah, you know how uh, you always had to make caveats about these things? Yeah, this one's better. You, you don't have to do that anymore. They didn't bother to. <laughs> fresh training with that um but i just got tired of chucking the gear that i wanted to be using to people (laughs) and uh, (laughs) um so uh yeah and then amongst other things jumped ship to do my masters and uh and here i am
1: i think there's a really interesting thing in how the common thing is uh getting your hands on the gear yeah um because it's it's I think this is kind of maybe a broader thing about lighting is that kind of costume and set design and in a way sound design can kind of exist as an extension of, um, if not just people who are present in the room, you can kind of do spaces, you can do clothes people have access to, you can do sounds and Foley and physical stuff, but lighting is kind of contingent in a really interesting way of the technology that's around us and the practice that consistently has to change and just conceptually changes all the time, uh, because of the technology changing. Um, yeah, I wonder, is there something, I mean, there's that. uh, the Sinead Wallace used to say on her, um, intro courses that like the
2: day she has to on all led rigs, she'll just quit. Um, because, She's actually done that since then and she's like, crap, I can't use that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: noticed that recently, yeah. I yeah. Like, yeah. But um but because tungsten was such a massive part of her practice, I think that's the yes. really interesting thing about lighting as an artistic practice. And I mean it's I'm sure every other artist who does a thing that I don't know how it works is saying, No, that's just like us. But you know, for the last thirty years, last fifty years and this thing, God, last century, Uh, up until maybe 20 years ago, um, part of being a lighting designer was knowing how an elemental metal works when it vibrates really fast. Yes. Um, And that kind of, that's part of the skill and the art. Um, Is there a jumping off point there? Maybe not, but it's just really interesting and getting the hands on the stuff and like
2: interfacing. Yeah, I think it's like... I've always found like so much of the design work so fascinating in how how tied to the technology it is because you know to use uh, set design as an example or uh, or scenic painting um, uh, you can you can basically give a uh, give a crew you know, a model and uh, and some reference images and that sort of thing. And obviously there's a huge amount of work in artistry uh, involved in making all of that. Um, but uh, you know, you kind of make this thing and everyone agrees like, yeah, that can be done. And the set designer uh, doesn't necessarily uh, in most cases have to think about like, well, what what size of Board? Do I want to use? Do, can I use one by two, or do I have to use two by four? Or uh, does this need to be made of steel? Or how many cross braces does this need to have? Or um, the the level of engineering that is inherently present in just the process of uh, drafting a lighting plan uh, from the the symbols that you're putting on the plan. In addition to just making the drafting software go, because uh, I'm sure I am not the only person who has nearly thrown a laptop out a window over VectorWorks.
3: I think it's it's interesting what you're saying, Bill, about the, the the craft involved. And I think what we're seeing, certainly over the past you know 10 20 years, with the evolution of technology and the, um, the 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 new intelligent fixtures that we are now becoming more and more happy and 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 being able to integrate them into a generic rig. I think with that comes um, the creation of a lot of craftspeople that we didn't necessarily see or know that we needed before. I think, for example, um, the the art of programming. You know, I think mm. to the point where, as a designer, you are only as good as your programmer can, can get you there. Um, whereas, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, all of us would have been able to jump on a desk and, and do the same job, but now it's become this... Um, creative outlet in, a, in, an, in and of itself.
2: Absolutely. God forbid Stuff. you're used to an ETC desk and you walk into a venue and there's an MA. Yeah,
3: I just walk yeah. out again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Try again. Bye.
1: How quickly can you call someone for a nomad? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the, the programming thing is really interesting because I, uh, I did my first major project with two kind of creatively involved tech crew um in june which was uh, a project to uh pre-vis a show because obviously we can't actually visit a show because all the theaters were closed in june um and so you know i from my point of view it was great because like i got the hand in the plan that i'd already done and kind of a show that i knew um but then these guys did like maybe 80 hours of work of prep just to have like a virtual scale model of the theatre. And I mean, there's probably someone listening to this going, yeah, of course, whatever, we all do that all the time, but no one does that here. Um, (laughs) And like this virtual scale model of the theatre, this virtual, like, focusable rig that you could call and then plot. Um, And, you know, like, they had to to build all of that from scratch as part of, like, a quote-unquote technical job. And, like, that's, you know, even beyond, like the idea of going from tungsten to led or strike lamps or um you know the kind of the 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 scale at which the lighting equipment itself is moving like the conceptual framework in which you have to do your lighting work is now so utterly changed because i mean this is like uh i don't know if eos 3.0 has come out yet yeah. as an official thing Is out, out it um But like as standard now for free, you can just download a fully tooled um, visualizer and like pre-plot an entire show. Um, So your kind of relationship when you do the work, because the other thing, the other element of getting your hands on the gear, I think, was that you got to see how it worked in real time and you could only ever see how it worked in real time. Mm. So there's this kind of simulacrum that's more available now and obviously visualizers have been a thing since like the 90s, but um, but that is available and that it's kind of becoming a standard practice like programmers and, you know, there was a programmer on. Um, just that kind of acceleration of scale is really interesting. Um,
3: I, so think, yeah, well, John, I think, yeah, John, the, I think the development of that software and the ability for us to begin our creative process a little bit earlier, mm. um, it, it allows us to have those conversations with the rest of the team. And in a way, previously, those conversations were very difficult to articulate because yes. you're trying to, to describe something that you can't show to people who are used to seeing, um, like, a, a physical model or a costume idea or a, a drawing. And yes. um, so, very often, like, um, up until now, like, all the mood boards that I will be showing us are. Uh, very kind of reliant on photography that is more to kind of give the idea of what I'm trying to show them as opposed to the actual thing because it's been impossible. Mm-hmm. But now I think yeah. for the advent of of this software that potentially we have the, the ability to start those conversations earlier and in a way to kind of reduce the truncation of our work and reduce that pressure to get it right in few days' time, be able to be a bit more free into play.
2: Mm. Definitely. The... Um, uh, one note on the acceleration of all this tech that just popped in my head is, uh, you know, outside of the basics, like what's a dimmer, what's a lamp, what, you know, electricity makes things bright, that kind of thing. Um, like, once you get outside of the basics, like basically everything I learned in my undergrad is so far obsolete. Like, we we have to keep re-educating ourselves so, so, so often to keep up uh, even with all the, like, all the previous stuff is a great example of that because I, I didn't know how to do a previous, you know, a year ago. <laughs> um, but also with the availability of that, like, the, a lot of the technical students who I work with often ask me, like, how do you know what this is going to look like? uh when you're making this drawing i was like well i i i have a good guess (laughs) uh i i'm doing as much preparation as i possibly can but i don't actually 100 percent know until we're in the theater and we turn the lights on and i go oh it turns out that there is a red dye underneath that blue dye on that dress and now they look like a muppet like (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know uh we we do so much prep work to make it as easy as possible to get to the images that we have in our heads and we're always telling people, you know, no, I, I swear I know what it looks like and in my head I know what it's supposed to look like. Uh, but uh, not, not everyone can see that.
3: Um, but I think also certainly for me that no matter how much prep work I do, some, something always looks different or something happens that I'm not expecting. Um, 100% or there's a happy act it's always a happy accident you're always like okay yeah we can do that yeah (laughs) Mm.
1: there's also I mean it's a a really nice moment of kind of um god I'm just thinking like that Fall Guys game on Playstation 4 now where like all the preparation (laughs) happens and then like 60 guys just run in random directions yeah and you get like (laughs) the mathematical combinations of how they could end up like um, whatever about like line designers not knowing exactly how <laughs> you're missing <riddle>. uh, whatever <laughs> about line designers not knowing how things are going to look um, I mean I'm very used to a very collaborative model of work um, where like I'll be kind of you know I've done shows where I'm almost discussing the placement of focuses of every lamp in the rig with uh, set designers and costumes and directors before we go in um, and then they see it not having spent that time imagining it. Um, and you suddenly get the, wow, that lamp can do this thing. Can it do, you know, this completely off the wall thing? You know, what happens if we just turn like one spotlight on that's just for a special and like the whole scene of that, of, like a reflection or something, you know, not, not that exact example, but like the,
2: I mean, I've the randomness is
1: so. great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a specific example now. Oh yeah, like the like one of the first shows we did with Malaprop. Um, one of the scenes was just lit by like what was in the very first like preview run, just a broken lamp, and they're like, "That looks really cool. How do we make it look that uh, every single time?" Um, <laughs> yeah. I like, "Oh well, we break a lamp in every venue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that to any touring venues listening to this podcast." Um, but yeah, that randomness and is. I mean, it feels like it's the it's the big reward of like um, when you actually get to turn the lights on uh, which I think I know and uh, sorry, I'm going to some monologue in a moment uh, but maybe there's the potential for something to be lost in the previous thing because the previous doesn't look the same you know, it doesn't have the quality it's like the lamps are always a bit not quite right or they're not exactly what they'll do or like the reflections and you know, like you can light a whole scene by like bouncing something off a shiny floor in a way that you can't do in a previs. Yeah. Um, so there's always that kind of element of the real world, obviously um, that is coming. That's really exciting.
2: Mm. Can I, uh, cause you uh, kind of tailed into this, John SJ, can I ask you your favorite accident that you've had? in a show where it's like, oh, that wasn't supposed to be there,
3: but that looks amazing. Oh, put me on the spot now. What, I have to, I'll have to think. Can I have a think and come I, back?
2: <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I, I have one in my head that was recently, I don't know if it's my favorite of, uh, of all time, but uh, I did a, uh show in the new theater uh, last year. And I was, uh, in talking with the director, she and I had done a few shows in there and I was like, I am so sick of lighting this venue because (laughs) it's, it's perfectly functional, but it's very small. And I just, I, I felt like I was out of tricks in there. I was out of anything that I thought was particularly interesting. And, um, uh, And she was like, just go wild. We'll, you know, do do the wackiest thing you can think of and we'll uh, we'll see how it looks. And uh, I got these, um, uh, and I'm sure like half the people listening to this are going to roll their eyes. Well, no, 100% of the people are going to roll their eyes, but some people might break their phones. Uh, I got warm and cold white LED tape. Mm -hmm. And... uh, got it in uh, a extrusion that had, that was really low profile and uh, had a good diffuser on it and basically just like taped these things to the walls of the new theater at uh, you know, body height. And we just, uh, I wired it all up and walked to the back of the theater, switched the lights off and uh, turned these things on with the director and the audience. And it was totally different from anything we had seen in that space previously, uh, and it was a totally different look for me because it was very much like you know i I light in your general direction <laughs> rather than uh anything uh too specific and but it gave such a lovely quality to the entire space and the uh and the set that and the director and I were just like, oh, well, cool, we're just going to light the whole show with these, basically. <laughs> like, barely need any stage lights now. <laughs> uh, and uh, we got a lot out of it anyway. We, we thought it was very good. Um, other people disagreed, but you know what? We were happy.
1: <laughs> Everyone always disagrees all the time. Oh, yeah. I got told I came to a dress rehearsal without a lighting plan in a review last year, which I don't mm-hmm. really understand how that works.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, I'm trying to remember what uh, what, a, what was said in a interview of this one, but uh, uh, I, I think the design was, in general, referred to as nonsense. <laughs> it feels like yeah. a compliment. Yeah.
3: <laughs> okay, I've thought of one. I've thought of one. Right. Um, it was relatively early on in my career, and I was designing my first show in the Peacock Theatre, so... You know, it was a big deal. And I was absolutely terrified. Um, But I had come into the process um, at the white card stage where I was presented with um, a finished model box, having had no creative conversations up to this point, which was, you know, no fun whatsoever. Um, And the, the, the set was fully enclosed box set with a roof and two side walls and a back wall. And I was like, um okay you know and i was i was so eager to please that i didn't voice any concerns of the fact that i had no angles to, to light it interestingly or even beautifully so um i eventually found this bench that had four tubes in it or white tubes um so this bench was kind of placed in the middle of the set to become a seat and lit up and managed to light the performers from the inside which was um fortunate um But then somebody commented, and it wasn't my intention, but somebody commented that as part of the set design, all of the furniture in the room was stuck to the ceiling upside down and the bench that I had placed on the floor looked like a fluorescent light. So it actually worked amazingly well as part of um, a scenic element. But me, I was just scrambling to get anything in there that I could light the performance with.
2: Nice.
1: (laughs) I seem to give you all the box sets and the peacock.
3: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> never do anything well. Um, oh, I've uh, a really quick fun one of uh, just when we did a touring show in Australia last year. Uh, we walked into the venue, which had not provided us. Basically, it was a fringe venue and hadn't provided us with any plans of what the room looked like. Any photos? We had no idea what we we're going into, and they're like, "Yeah, there'll be front light and some backlight and some some kind of booms on the side." And we're not sure what the booms will look like yet. And I was like. Okay, that's fine. That's doable. Um, The show generally wants like 10 specials, but we can live. Um, So we walk in and the room is uh, a truss that's been built in the middle of a ballroom. Uh, So it's a square cube in the middle of a very echoey ballroom. All of the backstage areas are just other bits of the ballroom that aren't within the cube of truss. Um, And the entire space within the truss is like gallery installation white
3: mm. uh,
1: including like this really beautifully finished uh, infinity wall that went all the way up to the truss um, also they had run out of DMX so there was no backlight um, so the only thing to like show with was uh, two like profile moving heads right beside each other centre stage front to house and then a pair of red and blue Uh, pirate cans on booms on the side Um, and we had like two and a half hours to plot the whole show from scratch Um, and actually we got some of the best images that we've ever gotten for the show and some of the best dates um, because we could cheat by like bouncing off the wall and because we had like framing shutters and stuff Um, so like all of the big event moments of the show were like some of the best the event moments had ever looked Um, which was like Weirdly ungratifying and also very gratifying at the same time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think that for me personally, most challenging um, has been learning how to light uh, outdoor theatre. And I've only had not very few um, chances to explore this. And both times um, when I was involved with the um, the Shakespeare, the opening in Kilkenny, we had um, really bad weather. (laughs) So not only did we have to wait until about 11 p.m. to kind of see what anything was doing and then work until 2 a.m., which I I don't like working after 8. I get very grumpy. Um, Then, you know, it it rained. So we had to take everything down and start again the next day. Um, Uh, And... The second year was, was, was torrential. It was, we had to pull about three shows, I think, because um, it was just so rainy. <laughs> um, and I think we were, we were hopefully going to do it again this year, but um, it got, it got cancelled. But I, I think everyone in the company was really going ho to give it another shot because every time we did it, we had such a calamity of a time. We were like, okay, next, next time we know exactly what we have to do to, to make it work better so we'd like fix our problems but then encounter a whole load of new problems so um, this time around we are like right we're going to get it done third time lucky um, so in a way that was the most challenging um, but challenging in a good way because all the company were behind you and everyone was kind of working and trying to you know deal with the, an incredible situation and still get to show up and still make a great experience for the audience
2: oh, I just keep Repeating in my head, like outdoor theater, Ireland, outdoor theater. <laughs>
1: we like I to pretend we're much further set than we are.
3: Uh-huh. The thing, the thing I think I realize now that I never, it never went into my head that to 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 make outdoor theater, I have to like make the the venue first as well, and you know yeah. that kind of fell between the cracks of us all. Because, you know, I was like, oh, where can I put lights? And people were like, well, well, just tell us where you need to put lights. And then it just kind of spiraled into chaos.
2: (laughs) It's like, want or need?
3: (laughs) So, give us another go. We'll get it right this time.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think I've got mine, John, if if you're still thinking. Yeah. Um, So, uh, most... Uh, th- uh very quick the most technically challenging one uh I ever did that was mostly just me being uh thrown into the deep end of a pool without any water wings was uh when I was working at the uh uh lighting vendor back in Seattle. Uh we were the uh lighting and stage provider uh for a uh basically a downtown music festival. Uh, that was host to uh, some uh, some bands that even I had heard of uh, and approximately 25,000 attendees. And uh, I was voluntold uh, that I was running lights on Friday night from about 4 o'clock. Uh, and I had never busked on an ION before because it's not particularly a busking desk and I just kind of had to figure it out. It was a great time. Uh, it went, once I got the hang of it, it was, uh, it was fantastic, but uh, whew, <laughs> nearly drowned. Uh, creatively, the most challenging one for me was um, when I was in the master's program uh, in the Lear. Um, we, part of that program is doing a dance project uh, with a choreographer, and uh, I had the extremely good fortune to work with Liz Roach uh, but I'd never done like dance before like proper dance I had done like dance numbers and musicals but that's very different than dance uh, and I had like I had always kind of wanted to do it but I was stopped by uh, being like no no I I don't get it like I don't get dance like <laughs> yeah, I, I was having a lot of trouble with it and Um, uh, Liz came with a rather challenging brief that she wanted to work on, which was, um, if I'm remembering correctly, how to be present and not present simultaneously. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, that was uh, very... (laughs) difficult for me. Cause I just really, I, I spent about two days just staring at my computer in the design studio, like looking through images, just being like, I don't, what do I have? And, and I <laughs> still wasn't a hundred percent clear on like how the process worked and like how much like was acceptable to feed in back to Liz and like just all these things. Um, And, uh, she was, uh, she was really wonderful to work with. And she was extremely patient with me, which I am eternally grateful for. Uh, and I remember like halfway through like our second or third, I think it was our third workshop day, like the penny just dropped. And I was just like, Oh, I get it. Oh, I, I, I know what this is now. I get it. And like, I've been, Totally on board since then. Like it, it, it was like the puzzle piece fell into place, and it's like, oh, okay, I, 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 get, I get it now. I can do this. I, I can, I can do the dance, and I can talk to the choreographers. <laughs> so uh, it was a really gratifying experience. But who, boy, was I lost? Uh,
1: sounds like it's my turn. Should a better thought.
2: Um... <laughs>
1: I I think the thing you kind of talking about, about parameters, SJ, is interesting because it's, like, so much of... Obviously, so much of the stuff is defined... is is not only, like, the artistic work is done by, but it is defined by the gear that's available. Um, And I think, uh, I would say, like, as a designer, my greatest strength is, like give, give me three lamps in literally any position that you've picked and I can probably do something with it. But, uh, if I have to do my whole own rig from scratch, it's a panic zone, you know, entirely. Mm -hmm. And like the larger the the scale of that gets, the harder I find it. Um, uh, so like really large, like I have no concept of how people do Eurovision as a thing. It's like impossible. It's fictional. Um, (laughs) so the, the last show we did just before lockdown, um, was probably the most scale I've ever had to play with at as, as a designer um which was really hard it was really really hard to kind of uh avoid the concept of scale as well like this there's, mm. the, there's always a kind of pressing thing of like you don't have you're never going to have this much space again or you've never had this much space before you've never had this many lamps available uh or this quality of lamp um so it's The challenge, I mean, it's a technical and creative challenge of, like, figuring out the actual ideas of what's actually important to the show, breaking that apart and uh, providing for it, um, and being, and I suppose being fully responsible for it the whole time, uh, because, there's a kind of an escape route when you're working on like festival rigs and gig rigs of going, oh, why'd they focus front a house like that? But you can't say that about your own focus because mm.
2: why did you focus front a house like that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, it's something my chief, Alex, has always laugh at me about is I ask like, why did I do that to me?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm always asking who did that there, who put that there. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's the, the biggest continuing challenge or, was, you know, continuous challenge. Sorry, you've hung up. It's like my, my favorite lit moment of all time is, um, oh God, what's his name? It's like John Sinclair, who's a lighting designer who did like um, David, David Burns, the new show, American Utopia. Um, and like, he's a big Broadway guy. He's a big deal. Um, but he did the lighting design for as a new sound system. And did this whole show, uh, which is like, you know, it's kind of weird to describe like lighting design as funny, but it's hilarious. Because um, <laughs> there's loads of like, oh, suddenly we're in a club in 1970 and there's like a sweaty disco song playing. And then suddenly like all the lights are pointing directly in your eyes because fuck you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's great. Um, but then at the very end of that show, there had been this whole thing with uh, delays and they'd had time added on to the show and... um they kind of started showing off this clock, uh, which was just like a red digital clock with like the eight-digit, ti- the eight-line time thing. Um, and they get to the end of the last song, um, and it's just this drumbeat playing for like two and a half minutes as they just play down to zero. Um, and the lead singer picks up the clock, and they bring everything right down, everything right, 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 right down. So there's just like the bear's green glow. Um, and then the last moment is just the lead singer of the band and the drummer. It was looking at this clock, counting down like five, four, three, two, and the show just ends.
2: Psst, like that's, spectacular. That's excellent. Yeah. It was. My, mine is a bit broader. Um, <laughs> uh, I uh, I get an awful lot from uh, photography just as its own art form, um, not just by um, uh, sort of necessity, because light is intangible and it's the only way we can really record it that well. Um, but uh, I, uh, I bought a book, I can't think of the author, um, uh, called, uh, Capturing Light, uh, which was in the photography section of, um, a bookstore in Portland that I hate myself. I cannot think of the name of it. Powell's. Um, it is a giant, like five story tall bookshop. If you ever go to Portland, go there. It's amazing. Um, and, uh, and I was like, Oh, Capturing Light. that sounds kind of up my alley i i do i dabble with photography i i do lights that sounds good uh and it just completely changed everything about how i lit shows and everything um like when i was redoing my website a few years ago um i could see a very very clear sort of like pre me getting this book and post me getting this book. Um, and it's this landscape photographer, uh, did this book about, uh, how to get the most compelling images basically, uh, in all sorts of light. And there's like, you know, harsh noon desert lights, cityscapes at night, uh, you know, gray overcast light, gray overcast light with rain, with reflective surfaces. And there's, uh, and basically every page, well, it, it's a two page spread of a single photo. Um, so every time you turn the page, you're in a totally different environment. And the author wrote, uh, a little section on what that type of light is and how it behaves and that sort of thing. And it just, it, it's incredible. Uh, it was one of like the three books I brought with me when I moved from America to Ireland.
3: It sounds amazing. I have to ask you to borrow it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's (laughs) falling apart a little bit at this point, but uh, I'll I'll give it to you.
3: Um, I guess I have have three inspirations that pop to mind immediately. Um, So I'm actually going to Limerick tomorrow to talk about lights to dancers and whenever I've been asked to do this in the past, the first image I show people is the sun Mm. and the second image I show them is the moon. Um, The last thing I want to show anyone when I talk about light and lighting design are actual theatre lamps (laughs) because I think you can get um, distracted by the technology and, and by, as John was saying, by the scale of what you can achieve and the essence of the idea can be lost. So... I always think if you start very simply, start with the simplest thing and the, only, the way that we know light is because of the sun. Um, and then to kind of go into uh, the world of theatre, one of my mentors during Rough Magic was a fantastic designer called Polly Constable. Um, she's lit the likes of uh, War Horse, um, The Ring Cycle, um, you know, look her up if you don't know her. Her work is absolutely amazing. Um, but I... I apart from being inspired by her designs i was inspired by her as a person as a human because um she um was humble and she was endlessly giving of um of herself and of her mind to the process and to the work and um, if her as a lighting designer and her as her lighting team could assist in solving a problem you know there was no egos she would she would do whatever needs to be done to, for, for the benefit of the production. Um, and I learned in her a great respect for people. Um, and I, I remember when when I started out lighting design, people used to say to me, oh, you know, you need to be mean to to make it. And I just couldn't wrap my mm. head around that. Like, there's no, there's no place for that in my life and in this world that I want to live in. So um, meeting Polly and, and seeing how she... Uh, how she lives and how she interacts with people around her was a real inspiration because she is successful and she is a very strong female lighting designer. Um, and then recently during during our pause when we've all had time to sit and, and watch things I'm, I watched Hamilton because I'm a big fan of musicals. Putting it out there I love musicals please can I have a job on a musical. Um, and the the late lighting designer for that, Howell Binkley, um, who passed away not too long ago, unfortunately, um, he gave a webinar on the design and he said that when, they, when, the, when the company were in the public theatre, workshopping ideas and kind of like trying to get producers on board, that um, they ended up making gobos from Chinese corporate trays, And I just heard this, you know, Broadway designer um, hand-making gobos from takeaway trays and it just warmed my heart. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Everyone's best gobo they've ever used has always been a a roasting pan gobo, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I really like uh, what you mentioned about uh, Christine, was it? Uh, Just being kind to people.
3: Uh, Polly Constable.
2: Polly, Polly, gosh. Yeah. shows how bad with names i am you said it <laughs> again uh but i just 100 percent agree with that i'm a huge fan there question slash jumping off point uh partially because uh john i haven't talked to you on a on a personal level uh in a minute oh, yeah. uh there's a question on the list about uh creative slash show burnout and uh wondering if that has to do with your uh potential decision to step away um yeah I suppose
1: that's the most pressing thing on my mind is that um I, I kind of in my head have just finished lighting my last show last week um which was kind of a weird thing so I don't have any theater work uh coming up for the first time in realistically like eight years which is weird um, it is a weird sensation it's very strange. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I suppose the, I, the, the, uh, I, I myself, uh, I'm not feeling particularly well and have not been particularly well for uh, a while. Um, part of that is that, uh, as a lighting designer, uh, I have pinned a lot of myself worth to the work. Um, as I've been saying in emails, um, it's a weird thing to pin your sense of self-worth to turning the lights on and off correctly. Um, so I suppose coming up to March that had been an issue of just like, uh, feeling burnt out, I suppose, because, uh, artistically, uh, I wasn't very satisfied with the work I'd been doing for the last while. Um, this is a bit of a bummer note, but I'll just get through it and then we have it done and we can edit all this out. Um, Hadn't been very satisfied with the work I've been doing. Uh, and then, obviously, the big pause button was hit. Um, just as I think we were we were about to go into tech, I think, what was it? Friday it got called. We did a run on Friday. And Monday we would have been in tech. And in my head, I was just going, tech is going to be a disaster. I have no plan. Uh, I have no ideas. I don't know how I'm going to like the show. Um, and then we got to put the pause button on it. I got away with it. I got like Bart Simpson's snow day. Um, and I had the time to think and go, okay, well, you had a really rough time. You, you weren't well enough to be in a position to do the job right. And you had a lot of uh, disdain for yourself because you weren't going to do the job right in your head. Um, maybe you should not do the job for a while. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a simpler thing, I suppose,
2: but, um, yeah. Tough place to get to. And I've, I've certainly, uh, I've been where, uh, uh, where you were there before. Uh, and, uh, part of that, uh, involved a larger existential crisis about my life. And then I freaked out and moved to a different country. And Mm. um, so, (laughs) Uh, yeah <laughs> um, so yeah I I, I definitely uh, have sympathy and empathy yeah I, I
1: mean I think I think a large part of it is now having the space is as you're saying managing burnout and um having so much work happen on top of you all the time that there isn't a the work to be creative mm. or there isn't a the space to be creative um And then I think I had worked myself into a place of uh, compromising loads to get through individual days, as opposed to having the capacity to plan ahead, Um, particularly for design work as well as other kind of technical work. Um, And you just go, look, it's not worth it. You know, if if you can't do the creative work, none of the other work is worth it. Yeah. You know, to my mind, definitely um yeah yeah sorry this is this is like the thing in my head
2: now totally fair
3: i think actually when i read the questions um that 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 question really stuck out with me because i think it's something that we all experience um in this industry that we love and that we give so much of ourselves to and i certainly experienced um what what John and Bill are describing um, but I think it happened to me a couple of years ago and I think I'm, I'm maybe on the other side of it now um, and it's taking me a while to understand how it manifests how burnout and how the pressure and the work um, affects me personally and how it manifests itself and how best I can deal with it and how to to keep going in, in, in the job that I love because I've chosen to, to do that um, and and uh, yeah, I think uh, all I can say is I think burnout is, is, is a very real thing. And I think it happens to a lot more people than we realize. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. definitely anything this pause has, has given us the space to, um, to acknowledge it, to name it, um, which is, you know, after the battle done. You know, if you, can, if you can understand what's going through your head and what's happening to you um, psychologically and physically, then you can start addressing it and trying to uh, look at ways to manage it. And in a way, it's not something that I think personally I'm ever going to solve or cure. I don't think there is a cure. I think it's about, um, I think it's about acknowledging it and 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 putting healthy mechanisms in place to 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 make you to let you do your job to the best of your ability, but also to live your life happily.
2: I think. Um, for me so much of it ties to my physical health and if I'm uh, especially if I'm like physically exhausted like I I think it was fringe two years ago no three years ago because it was just before I started in the Lear um, uh, working as opposed to uh, being a student there Uh, like I absolutely just ground myself into dust and did not like anything I was doing from, from getting out of bed until I got back into bed and that was basically all I wanted to do the entire day. Um, and, uh, and and it's really hard uh, when you're uh, freelancing and you don't know what the next bit of income is going to be uh, to say no to work. Um, but I, I definitely find, like, obviously, I'm in a very luxurious position at the moment working for a school. Uh, but like that was really important for me to uh, be able to just say, say no to stuff every now and again so that my body could recover a bit, because otherwise I just wasn't getting any quality of work.
1: Mm. I think that the saying "no to work" thing is 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 um, it's a real skill, but it's also like it's a real social skill as much as anything else. Yeah, because particularly working in Dublin, and I mean, uh, Bill and Esther, you've worked in kind of larger contexts, but I've only really worked in Dublin. Um, is that every every person who you're working with is also like a social contact, is a peer, is a friend, is someone you quite like and who you get on with, and will, occasionally you have a pint with. Um, so there's that kind of level of sometimes it can feel less like you're being asked to work and more like you're being asked to do a favor yes which is much harder to refuse you know like the show i've just done i kind of probably shouldn't have said i'll do it um because even though it was like a half an hour piece uh with kind of relatively little input i was still like oh okay yeah no this is this is why i left um Uh but, you, you know, I got asked by a friend and I said, oh, I can't let them down. And if, you know, and if someone else might not do it for free, if I don't do it for free or don't, you know, not even, sorry, not even the money thing, just the, the working with peers. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a larger community thing, I think, rather than like a like specific thing. Mm. But, Yeah.
3: I think as well, there's, a, there's an element of because we are self-employed and the work that we do is, in a way, self-inflicted. You know, we, we say yeah. yes to and we found ourselves yeah. being busy that we can't then uh, vent about being too busy and about being stressed because at the end of the day, we've said yes to this and we've brought it on ourselves. So
2: The, the internal, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. It's like the dream is to have an agent who knows not to ask you if you can do a thing at all. (laughs) Not even an agent, just like a buffer.
3: (laughs) Um, If I may, um, and also to kind of say that even if we're not in an ideal world, this is the world that we're in. Um, I think if anyone is is interested in becoming a lighting designer and wants to learn more, um, what I would say to them is is, is, um, reach out to other designers that they're interested in. You know, I, I am more than happy to chat and have a cup of tea with somebody about their ideas about or, or, or to kind of give them advice. Um, and also, um, you know, very often there's opportunity to to not necessarily be in a formal mentorship position, but, you know, come in and listen in on headsets during a dress rehearsal. You know, I think I, I've certainly had people uh, in that position before. Um, and as long as it's okay with the company and okay with insurance and all that, you know, it's been, it's been fun to have somebody in asking me questions while, whilst trying to put out all the fires of a dress rehearsal. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I think uh, just to kind of echo that, um, the hardest, I think the hardest lesson to learn, I think for me in general and then also specifically in uh, lighting shows is that there is no, um, there's no path as it is uh there's kind of people just know people and things happen kind of almost at random and you can kind of influence how the dice is rolling um but there's no you know particularly like there's probably people coming out of uh secondary school now who might be looking at going to like a training a third level training or uh looking at other ways of getting in in a kind of a formalized way, but it's not like you can just send a letter to like theater to become a lighting designer. Um, And so the the upshot of that is that you kind of will always get your best in, I think, working with people who you like and who are around you Um, and that you should be conscious of just like making work, with people around you rather than always aiming for the next kind of formalized step I suppose um is that good advice maybe um but yeah to kind of have in your head that um the work that you're making now is the is the best work you can be making right now um, oh, Jesus I'm just rambling sorry I don't, I thought I had a, I thought I had a, I have a, I have like a picture of what I'm trying to say here and I can't get to it um, but it's like there's no formal way of becoming a lighting designer there's no formal way of becoming an artist um, except doing it um, and there's also there's no there's no qualification like if you if you are doing some kind of lighting you are a lighting designer you are an artist working in theatre um, there's validation there. Please God, someone make me sound intelligent when the edit.
3: I'll, I'll jump in because I think I know what you're trying to say, John. And I think it's worth, it's worth mentioning that when you're part of a collaboration and you're all working towards um, making a production and making a piece of, of art for, for an audience to see, that you need to uh, let things go. As you said, there is no path to that end production and it will be what it will be because of the people you're working with at that moment in time. And if you made it, you know, in a year, it will be something different. If you made it a year ago, it would be something different. And what it is, is what it is then. So let everything go.
2: (laughs) That is exceptional advice. And uh, to what you were saying about, like, whatever type of light you're doing, you're a lighting designer, like, that there is no, like, you must be this tall to art. Signed anywhere? Uh, if if you're doing it, you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and should yes. be you should be
1: skeptical of anyone who might imply that there is. Yes, absolutely.
2: Yes. <laughs> um, the uh, the biggest the the two biggest pieces of advice I'd give are um, uh, and I, I I think I might have stolen this from either. Sinead or uh or Kevin, but uh be be an active observer in the world. Like if you're seeing a particular sunset or like a particular way uh, a street looks at a time of day and it's striking to you. Um like don't just go, oh wow, that looks really pretty. Start thinking about it like, well, why is that pretty? And if, uh, if you can figure out why that why that street looks so endearing at the time, and it's actually just the fact that the sun is bouncing off of that window on the left and hitting that builder on building on the right, which is highlighting it, then that's something you can use eventually, um, and uh, and you don't need a, a giant book of lighting design to to figure stuff like that out, and. The other thing is uh, to just, like, and again, this kind of comes full circle, but, like, we got to take care of our minds and our bodies. Like, I know if I'm not right, I'm not making good work. And uh, furthermore, I'm probably not a joy to be around. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, drink water, sleep, eat during your breaks. Like, I... I my work improved drastically when I stopped working through lunch breaks, and I actually just left the room at lunch and ate my lunch because, weirdly, I was rested and had energy and could think better. (laughs) Um, And uh, and if your head's not right, then that's fine. That's nothing. uh, There, there's no shame in any of that. Like. I went on my uncle's boat for six weeks and basically worked as a deckhand to get my head right before I moved here, and it was time exceptionally well spent. So... Mm -hmm.
0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. We will be back soon with a new episode. The Irish Society of Stage and Screen Designers podcasts are possible thanks to the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland.